Ogilv Nanagus. Series 2, The Battle of Moitura. Episode 6, Avark Namvorigan. The Morrigan's View. Part 2. So I suppose we really ought to stop digressing and get back to the actual battle. <laughs> yes. Although really, I suppose now we could call this section the aftermath. Exactly, yes. And I suppose, yeah, we did call today's episode The Morrigan's View. Mm. And although I know she's seen constantly as a, 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 a goddess of battle, yeah. Bunyard, um, I suppose being an observer and a watcher and a recorder... Mm. Um, if she is the recorder of the Tuath, yeah. war would be a prominent thing she would be likely to... Conflict battle would be a very prominent thing that she would be recording. Yes, it's it's a bit like any official history, you know. It's it's full of wars and conflicts and so on. Um, and we don't call historians gods of war. <laughs> no. I mean, if, well, you could in a way, you could, you could imagine the Morrigan as, if you like, the original writer of this story... The story is called Cath Megatirid. It's a story about a battle. Mm -hmm. She's written or created or passed on, transmitted, a story about a battle. That doesn't make her the instigator just, or the yeah, spirit yeah. of that battle. No, I wouldn't. I, I get I get annoyed with seeing her just as a spirit of war. Yeah. Because I think above all, she is the poet and recorder. Yeah, yeah. And we did go into this in yeah, a we, lot of detail, but it's it's worth saying again and again. <laughs> and there again, you see, everyone's personal poet, druid, mm. harpist is yeah. encoding their own personal story. Yeah. And they all turn up at this point. It, yeah, absolutely. Um, because there's been a lot of people killed or... Or who have done fantastic things. It's not yeah. just recording if you're killed. You also mm. record all the, the, all the glorious deeds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, then there's uh, Nuadis Druid, who key he, yes. he dies at this point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, although it, it doesn't come into our text, no, it's it a Dinchenikus on Lockkey. I mention him because Lockkey is just down the road yeah. from here. Yeah. He's supposed to have wandered away and died, and yeah. where he died, a lake. Sprang up, sprang yeah. up. I, I, and the same with Curran, who who was supposed to be the harper. Now I can't remember off the top of my head whether he's supposed to be Dean Kertz or or Guifnu's harper. But certainly he was supposed to be the harper of one of them. And again, he sort of wandered off and ended up uh, forming like the caves at Kesh Curran. Mm -hmm. You know, they're named for him. So, um, and even in the bit we we covered when we talked of the Dagda, where they go to rescue the Dagda's mm -hmm. harper slash harp. You know, from the Fovera. Again, it's every character has their spokes person. Spokesperson. Yeah. And we get to the most important one of these yeah. now, because Indeik has died, yeah. leaving his poet yeah. as a central figure. It yeah. is his poet who makes the peace. Yeah, who negotiates and forms and declares the treaty between the two. Yeah. He has to now speak yeah. for the Fovera. Yeah. Now this is Loch Lesglas, who um, don't worry, is nothing to do with Legolas. <laughs> no, it sounds like it, doesn't it? It does a bit. But uh, in fact, when we looked at the meaning of his name, it, it gave us more insight into why he has this role. Um, but his name, Loch, while, yeah, it can be confusingly similar to Log, especially in the parts of the text where the, the two of them are talking to each it's, other. It feels like a bit of this mirroring, but I think yeah. the name is actually quite different. The name is quite different. Um, the, the, the name, the meaning we've gone with for his name is Chaff. Yeah, because he's sort of like he seems to stand for what's left. Yeah, the the, you know, the, the leftover bit. Yeah, and left glass again. It's usually translated as half green. Uh, read my article on colour words. <laughs> if you want to know why, I, I don't necessarily go with that. Um, glass 
tends to mean a sort of a pale colour, something that's not as intense. Gurum is, a, is an intense colour yeah. coming from colours of the sky and the glass is, is the colour of the sea that reflects that, so it's a paler version. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, even half green or half pale, yeah. um, they're both it's that which is no longer green. Is yeah. half, it would really describe the chaff. Yeah, the leavings, yeah. yeah. So that's perhaps why Loch has this particular job to do. But I, th- I think he's one of the most overlooked characters in mm. this entire tale, really. It, well, let's look at what he does. Yeah. I mean, the first thing he does mm. is really sensible. Yeah. He asks Lou for quarter. Exactly. Hey, yeah. um, can we stop now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's a surrender. Surrender, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and uh, in order to kind of give, offer something, you know, saying, oh, please, I'll give you this if, if you don't kill me. Um, and kill us. Yeah, exactly. It seems to be much more for the people because yeah. uh, he says that he will grant, if you like, three wishes. Yeah, he's almost like we look at the Morrigan on mm. one side. Mm. He is actually in the role of the Morrigan. He yeah. is the speaker for his people. Yeah, and yeah. she is, in a way, the speaker for her. Yes. even though Lou has taken over this role. Yes, as yeah. Dux Valorum. Yes, exactly. But all the way through, the Morrigan's been doing this job. Mm. She mm. calls people to battle. Yes, she, she declared the battle. She declares the battle. Yeah. She arranges is the points at which everyone should meet. She yeah. records each place. Yeah. She is doing the job that Locke does. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it was the Morrigan who declared the battle, who officially, I, I declare this battle open. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Locke is the one who officially declares peace. And, and because Lou has kind of, as we've seen, sort of, sort of muscled his way well, through. Well, he's the general, you know. He's now the Duxbury, he's yeah. the leader, the yeah. war leader. And so he, he needs still alive, of course. Yes. Um... Uh, Lou asks for three desires, three requests, three wishes, and uh, then we get Loke's reply, and it can seem a little bit inconsistent because he only named. There's only two things named in that paragraph. Yeah. He says that he will, you know, remove the danger of the Fovera from the land of Ireland forever. Yeah. You know, you won't have to worry about us anymore. Promise. Um, he says that any judgment that Lug gives will be true until the end of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's sort of, you go, where's wish number three? Wish number three, or request number three, is when it said, then Loch uh, declared the decree of fastening on the Gaels. And it's another poem, but this is the peace treaty. And mm-hmm. that's the third mm-hmm. wish. Mm-hmm. So it's it's strange. It's a peace treaty. I, I was going to ask you, is it a peace treaty or a magic spell? You know, yes, is the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Just Both, we... neither, none of the above. Yeah, <laughs> but you're quite right. I mean, binding because it's mm. this the magic of the law and the magic of poetry. Yeah, it is magic, but not in the sense of well, it's as magical. It's, words. it's as magical as signing a peace treaty. It's and as magical, magical as, as a, a UN resolution. It is an invocation. Yeah, and it's an invocation, which yeah, which is uh, a peace treaty. Yeah. But it's interesting, once he starts this binding, it gets really odd because yeah. he starts naming everything in sight, yeah. seems to be. Yeah, it's it's a curious one because it sort of says that uh, Lou was pleased with this and so he wanted Locke to give names to his charioteers. So this is because he's pleased chariots. with the binding, pleased yeah. with the peace treaty. Yeah. It seems to him to be a very safe and... Yeah, but I... I it's another one of the dot, dot, dots, I'm afraid. Uh, it, yeah, it is and, and, and will be forthcoming, I promise, but... But um, I, I've kind of been trying to mull over, you know, what the dynamic is here. Is it that, you know, 
Logger's testing Loke's knowledge. You know, do, can Loke tell through his Imboss Frozno or some other technique yeah. what the real names of all these chariots and charioteers are? Can he sort of see their worth and see yeah. their inner nature? Yeah. Is, 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 is it that kind of testing? Is it a kind of exchange whereby, you know, Loke has just given Log. Lou, um, you know, these promises and he's made the treaty. And so in return, as an honour, Loke can rename Lou's mm-hmm, chariots. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I don't know, is there something else altogether happening there? It's it's tricky. It's tricky to know what that exchange is. Well, just for fun, <laughs> and this is for fun, yeah. we, we are not suggesting that we've solved any ancient puzzle or found any ancient wisdom. No. We have definitely not. No. But we took all the names and we put them on uh, bits of paper and we cut them out and yeah. mixed them around yeah. to see if we could identify which chariot went with which horse yes. and uh, or rather which, uh, which charioteer yeah. drove which chariot yeah. with which goad yeah. and which horses. Yes, yeah. It was quite interesting. <laughs> I said I looked at it and went, oh, this is impossible. Yeah. It's not going to work. And surely we should just group words by their um, poetic sounds. Yeah. That one, what is it, moth and... And mothok and... Uh, yeah, medon and medal. You've got several yeah. sort of, as it were, developments of, of poetic... Well, just yeah, syllables. And, and in the individual lists, because the way that it happens is that, uh, you know, Loke will give a list. He first lists the names of the chariots, then he lists the names of the charioteers. And those lists do have that kind of sonorous, you know, medol, medon, moth, mothak, face. Which rave, would help a storyteller you know. to remember them. Yes. You know. but, but, <laughs> but might mean that some of them get a bit atrophied as well, because yeah. we tend to atrophy names particularly we tend to forget that names are actually just words and that yeah. they mean something yeah. um you know like i i'm perfectly used to calling you chris and chris is who you are yeah but if i think of you as, as having christ in your name then it becomes something very different yeah you yeah. know what i mean it's <laughs> rather <laughs> off-putting doesn't it <laughs> i only noticed that when i write down my website which yes. is chris thompson.info yeah. and I go, oh dear christ i thompson. never noticed yeah. that when i put it in so you're quite right yeah you get used to words yeah as as names but yeah. you you forget that they have this or you other start meaning. to recite words and yeah. forget the meaning of them yeah. like i used to know christmas carols so well as a very young child oh yeah that i could when i speak the words of a carol sing mm. the words of a carol i'm singing a series of, of, of syllables yeah. that i've learned off by heart yeah and they have no meaning just and, the sequence of the syllables yeah and that's where you get the wonderful things like gladly the cross-eyed bear we are oh, oh come all in favor ollie oliumphant or, yes you know, i don't know <laughs> come for tea yeah yeah <laughs> But it's it's more than that. Yeah. Heart the Herald Angels Sing is a series of syllables mm. that I hear in my head mm. that have absolutely no meaning other than the sounds of the word, just yeah. because of the sheer familiarity of yeah. singing them at a very young age. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can see exactly what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. But nevertheless, I don't think we ought to go into this here. No. But just for fun, we put them together. Although there was one missing charioteer. Yeah, well, the... the, the they're which not we, complete. No, which we have fun with because there was one that was really so boring. Uh, yeah. The chariot was called chariot. chariot. Yes. The goad was called driving. Yes. The the horses were called one horse chariot and two horse yeah. chariots. <laughs> and so we decided that the charioteer, charioteer must was probably be called charioteer. Exactly. exactly. But there are others yeah. which are, are really quite interesting. One, mm. The one the death was driving a chariot called vessel yes which led into like the vessel of the ocean yeah, yeah. 
which oh goodness knows what I'll do is but I'll turn the, them into little pictures yes. and put them on the the blog and they they're quite amusing yeah particularly team euphemism I think oh, team yes. euphemism is your favourite. <laughs> Yeah, we gave them names. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry about that. But it was, yes. But it was a way of kind of going, okay, these are the bits that, that seem, that verge on nonsense to us as, as modern readers. Um, is there any way we can get sense out of them? So, like I say, it was for fun. I, I, yeah. When I arrived here yesterday, I said, I've got a game for us tonight. It's called Pin the Charioteer on the Chariot. So, so see what you think. Yeah. Well, it all changes, really, at, I suppose, the section 146. And then Lou off for the number of the slain. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of Henry V, you know, yes. after the battle. You, yes. you want to see immediately, you count the number of the slain, yeah. you see who is missing yeah. and you eulogise those people and yeah. then you deal with the prisoners and everything mm. else. Mm. And I suppose this is what he's doing here, except it's a bit odd really, isn't it? It is. Um, and once again, this is a bit that verges on nonsense it would be very fertile ground for people who are interested in kind of numerology and oh don't so go on. there don't go there <laughs> but uh it's well, look, this, let's, yeah. i just read what's there yeah, just, just one example mm. a question what is the number of the slain lou said to Lord. i do not know the number of peasants and rabble as to the number of fodder lords and nobles and the champions and over kings i do know three plus three times 20 plus 50 times 100 men plus 20 times 100 plus three times 50 plus nine times five plus four times 20 times a thousand plus eight plus eight times 20 plus seven plus four times 20 plus six plus four times 20 plus five plus eight times 20 plus two and 40 Whew, I did that all in one breath, <laughs> including the grandson of Nate, uh, Nate isn't it? Yeah. With 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 ninety men. Mm. That is the number of the slain of the Fofovera over kings and high nobles who fell in the battle. Yeah. Right, right. If you start adding those up, it runs into billions. <laughs> It runs into a multiple of the number of human beings who have ever lived on the earth. But you've got a theory, haven't I've you? I've got a theory. Um, <laughs> sorry, can't help it. Um, if you, uh, what, what, I was trying to make some other kind of sense of yeah. this because you know the, there's no word for you know multiplied by or plus. No, I in, thought in you see, I'd always taken it as just. A, a, a sort of metaphysical conceit, an yeah. uncountable number. Yeah, and there, there is another paragraph coming up that talks about until you can count yeah. the stars and the sun, we'll so yeah. that it says, you know, an uncountable number. But with this, I, I just wanted to think, is there another way to understand this? Because um, those kind of... Uh, functions the multiplied by or plus those are implied just within if you like the grammar of the words now in the irish text some of those numbers are written in uh, roman numerals some of them are written in you know the bleak case mm -hmm. you know meaning of four or of ten some of them are specifically terms which are for counting people mm -hmm. which we still use in modern irish we still say uchter if we're talking about eight people mm -hmm. it's uchter otherwise it's ucht and i think there is actually a bit that says uchter and ucht in mm -hmm. in this passage or in the next one um and we've already come across in other parts of this text we've come across nine nine as a kind of a, a, a battalion, a unit mm -hmm. of nine fighters. Um, and so I 
also thought then of this thing whereby, you know, a Roman centurion was in charge of a century, which did not consist of a hundred men. They usually consisted of 80 or less, Mm -hmm. but it was still called a century. These are just the terms. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've got a lot of terms in here that you could understand that way. You know, you could say every time it says cave, which is the word for a hundred, maybe that means a battalion. Mm. Maybe an uchter is an elite fighting group, which is just Mm. eight specially trained warriors. Or a small group. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, and then there's other parts where you get like a Roman numeral, um, let's say there's sort of two X's, and then immediately afterwards you get the the Irish word for it, which is fiche, which is 20. So sometimes I think it's it's just a repetition. Sometimes I think... here's the Irish, here's the... Yeah, well, here's the Roman Roman numeral, here's the word, yeah. yeah. Um, But if you then kind of break it up, I did an experimental thing where I sort of broke it up and I went, okay, let's say this says, you know, we lost four men out of these four battalions and then we lost eight out of those nine units and Mm -hmm. so on. And uh, the number that I came out with after this completely experimental thing was only, it was less than 250. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to the hundreds of billions that happens if you take it all. So as you're one talking big about losing 250 leaders. Yeah, exactly. But you're saying, you know, it's from this particular unit. Mm. You know, from Y Company, we lost eight of them, and then from X Battalion, we lost two of our specialists. We lost spear so fighters. many. Yeah, yeah, so many of this elite. Yeah, we? that's a very interesting way, and at least it makes sense. But also, it might be worth more examination yeah. in that you're also looking at the construction of early battles yeah, early battle yeah. lines really yeah, and battle yeah. construction now that's not a field I know anything about no no it's it's not our particular interest but I'm sure there are plenty of people out there and it would, would be worthy of further yeah. experimentation yeah. I, I, you know I, I thought that was really really interesting yeah. well again you know with these passages I was very concerned about trying to make sense of them you know rather than just kind of skipping over them Mind you, the next one, I think, is definitely a metaphysical conceit. Oh, absolutely, but it's got the language for it. You know, yeah. it doesn't bother specifying numbers, because that's pointless. It goes, you know, oh, I love the way also it talks about, apart from the rabble. Yes, exactly. Oh, I couldn't <laughs> tell you about the peasants, peasants and the rabble. Yeah. So, in other words, I'm afraid they suffer from the same thing as uh, most battles. Like, yeah, and, right and, and most mythology, such as in the Bible, the feeding of 5,000 was 5,000 men. There were women and children there also, but we didn't bother to count them. But this one, you're definitely into metaphors for physical conceit yeah. time. As for the men who fought in pairs and the spearmen, warriors who did not reach the heart of the battle, who also fell there, and until the stars of heaven can be counted, and the sands of the sea and the flakes of snow, and the dew on a lawn, and hailstone and grass beneath the feet of horses, and the horses of the sons of Lear in a sea storm, they will not be counted at all. I think that's yeah, absolutely great. It is. And that one's gorgeous. going, oh, yeah, and everything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. So that that one is one of your metaphysical conceits. And I think maybe it's, it's because that passage follows this one where there's very specific kind of numbering going on, um, that's why I thought it wasn't just this kind of hyperbolic statement, you know, of just, oh, it was, you know, hundreds of millions of thousands of billions. Well, it might be worth further research. Yeah. Well, just another way to look at it. So the next section is a section we have dealt with before, 149 to 161, which deals with how then Luke turns to another of the enemy captives, Bresh. Yes, yes to Bresh. The ex-king. The ex-king, yes. So we, we did cover this section um, in episode two of this series when we were looking at Bresh specifically. 
Um, it opens with saying that there came an opportunity for them to kill Bresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bresh says, oh, it's better if you spare me. And this is when we get his negotiation uh, with Lug for, for his life. Um, and just to briefly kind of recap what the story is, uh, Bresh says that he can offer great secrets of agriculture. He offers them four harvests a year and he offers them for their cows to always be in milk. But uh, Lou, again, he's he's acting as a captain. He's not acting sort of on his own behalf, if you like. This is still treaty negotiation territory. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he um, what do you call it, consults with uh, a wise man, with Moelte, uh, who's uh, got the term breath of in his mm-hmm. super case. So he is judge. He's a professional judge. And he asked the judge, you know, is is this a, a good exchange, if you like, for his life? Deal. Yeah. And this is where we get um, this wonderful toing and froing, where the wise man says that, you know, they don't want four harvests a year. They've So far they've found, you know, spring for sowing and, or, yeah, spring for sowing and summer for growing and uh, autumn for Harvesting, reaping yeah. and then the winter for consuming or grinding. Um, and when he offers that that the cows should always be in milk, uh, the wise man points out, yeah, well, that might be so, but he doesn't control the age of the cow and he doesn't control whether or not they're in calf or whether they're sick or not. So, you know, again, this isn't a good deal to be made. And so finally, Bresh offers this formula about how they should plough and sow and reap, and it's all done on a Tuesday. We talked about the background yeah. and what this could possibly mean a great deal. So if you, yeah. you know, that's there in episode two. Yeah. I think what's really interesting, though, is it backs up what we were saying about enumeration section is sort of being there to re-establish a sense of order and rightness yeah it's putting things back the way they should be exactly exactly that there's you know there was a time of famine but you know they're not going to go into this sort of over abundant form no, of you everything's know. got to be rightness justice yeah. order mm. um so even though you know overabundance is still not right exactly it's, it's not still balanced. not yeah it's still not proper um, order. it's not i love that egyptian term uh, mart yeah sense of the natural order of things yeah though mind you there's a better word we should be using well uh, in in irish i think that the the term cord which is co for the ir not the same as the crane word we were talking mm. about earlier the cord does express that sense of uh, rightness and justice, kind of natural order, natural and natural justice, you know, and things the being in there. Of the natural world, exactly. And in fact, uh, that is one of the names of the Dagda's harp. Is the core kethokur? Yeah. It's it's the the justice of four angles or four corners or four seasons. Yeah, yeah. It's the balance of things. Yeah, and it's there again at the heart of the Irish stories. Yes, that that that. that the important thing is you can only have prosperity mm. in a time of natural order. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there if you look at it right down to Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes, yeah, when, yeah. Uh, t- you know, Titania explains that their argument mm. is overset natural balance. Yes. And, and the world cannot be right. Yes. Um, the, the, the world with the humans can't yeah. be right. Yeah. If the world, if the environment is not right. Exactly. Yeah, it rings a bell, doesn't it? It does a bit, yeah. <laughs> Um, so we go anyway to section 162 to 165. Again, we've covered all this before. This yes. is the Dagda's bit. Yes, and this is where he does go, it says in the text with Log and with Ogma, uh, to the Fovera because they have his harpist, Uithna, in mm-hmm. captivity. Um, it's 
we don't really hear much about this character again but it's again in terms of what we're saying about natural order and this the season or cycle particularly Uithna is a is another colour word it's the green that is specifically the green of growing things so it's coming up from under the ground again yes. under the water yes yeah it's getting the, the green of growth back from this time of famine and so he calls his harp uh, which is called the Oak of Two Meadows. It's called the Rightness Court of Four Corners. And it's he also says Tar Sav Tar Nga. He says come summer, summer come, come winter. winter. Yeah. And there are other parts of the tradition that say that he, he had uh, the, the magic of the turning seasons. He could turn seasons mm-hmm. through playing mm-hmm. his harp. So in other words, once you've got the treaty mm. and Bresh has offered, you know, that, that the and, route back to the natural season. And you've counted the fallen. And you've counted out, you know, yeah. then you he can now re-establish natural order again. Yes. He can re-establish prosperity. Yes. And the calling of the harp and then followed immediately by yeah. the what he's been promised, what he's been told by Angus much earlier, yes. to call the cow. Yes. Exactly. And he calls the Glasgowan. Yeah. And, and that leads back all the prosperity of Ireland. Yeah, and it's an, another interesting phrase. It says that because when this cow, the Glasgowan, when she called her calf, when she lowed to her calf, the cattle of Ireland began to graze. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, there's this image of kind of either sickness or famine, you know, that the cows haven't been producing properly, you know, or that there wasn't grazing for them. Um, and that it's the cow, the, the, the calling of the calf to the cow, the sort of bringing them back together again, mm-hmm. um, that means that now the cows can graze. So whether it's to do with, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of stories. And indeed, in the annals, there's records of various cow plagues and so on mm-hmm. that were, you know, very difficult times and a very bovine based economy an um, agrarian society and an agrarian society so whatever the cause for the cows not being able to produce they now can yeah. once again. everybody can go back to normal life. yeah yeah it is over yeah and i think it's significant too that the heart must be brought back from under the waves yes yeah it's been hidden it yeah. now is obvious and back again yes and doing its right thing as well and so yeah, we really are at the end now. So we've yeah. finished with the Morrigan. Yeah. As you say, not the personal poet, but the poet yeah. of her people. Yeah. And she speaks for all. Yeah. And uh, the, these last two, unfortunately, it begins, it, the, the whole saga ends with dot, A dot, 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 dot. Yeah. Well, because there are two incredible poems. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, it's worth pointing out that uh, the end of the text itself does seem to be corrupted or missing. That even the second poem, we don't have the whole of it. There are actually missing bits. It doesn't finish Mm-hmm. properly but um but it still seems to end the story um so these are again we touched on them most particularly the the first of these two poems because this is the one that starts she's this is the um peace to heaven and heaven to always earth. loved that one yeah it, it is it's a wonderful piece and you know th- there's a romantic part of me that wishes that was the, the conclusion. Yeah, we, we use that as a closing. Yes. Yeah. In Moitura 2000. Exactly. And, yeah. and I know I've said before, yeah. I had this wonderful moment where I walked out on the battlefield yes. in the costume of the Morrigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the actual site of Moitura. And for yeah. me, who'd loved this story all my mm. life, it was one of the high points of my life. Yes, and, and we set, well, I kind of modernised the language of some of the poem and uh, set it to the tune of Port Nabuki, which is just one of my favourite tune in the whole wide world um and that worked really really well and then recently we've um you've done this wonderful I've, new translation i've redone it i've redone it and i think i'm i'm, I'm happier with the, the more recent translation i feel it's more complete than the one i did 
And in fact, I um, for the for end of the first series, yes, put that section into a modern form. Yeah, you know, so which began beneath the peaceful heavens lies the land. It rests beneath the bowl of the bright sky. Mm. The land itself, itself a dish, a cup of honeyed strength, there for the taking, offering strength to each. There it lies, the splendour of the land. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a beautiful poem. Oh, it is. And again, it, it's often termed as a prophecy. It, I, I think a vision is almost a better term for it. It is a vision of abundance and of rightness. You know, it, it, it's the vision of that, what the, the core, core. It is yeah. a vision of the, the how the world should be yes. and how it can be yeah. when all is working in harmony. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think that's nice. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a fabulous piece. But we can't forget that it is followed by a second poem that is much more bleak and gloomy and, uh, you know, it starts off, I do not see a world, you know, which will prosper. Um, and it, it has a, that sort of future tense to it again um but it's it's about the breakdown of order mm. and it's particularly about the breakdown of order in society that you know yeah, family some... bonds break up and that people are betraying each other and that kings are are not speaking the truth you know all those things that that if they're done right will create abundance in fact all the things we've seen go wrong in the story yes yeah. but it could happen again exactly yeah uh, it's almost as though she can't say and they lived happily ever after because she's a poet of truth yes and it might not be true exactly and and as we think it won't be true you know that that it will break down again and have to be remade and there has to be a natural balance of praise and satire exactly yeah there's this wonderful thing you, you find it in some of the texts which are talking about poetry and poetic meters and, and also about the poet's uh, process for making a legal satire yeah. that um, because you can't just out and out satirise someone that's just slander you know that's, yeah, yeah. that's the illegal satire of Creed and Vale if you are to make a legal the legal satire like Carbara McAvena did on Bresch yeah. then you have to uh, let the person know what they've done uh, um, but then you have to use this or uh, or this uh, you know um speckled poetry um which has both praise and blame mm -hmm. so you, you can't have one without the other no un unless you know if, if you do then it's a very serious matter then it's yeah, a, a yeah. satire and the serious consequences yeah, yeah. you know well, you, have you have to breakdown it will bring yeah. about breakdown well you have to make change. sure you know like carbra did you have to be speaking the truth if you're making that kind of legal satire and the other person has to have a right of reply mm -hmm. you know and so it does kind of go to the way that language and truth works mm. within the Irish tradition. I mean, that's really why I referenced another story in the opening story, mm. the story of the Dagda and Angus yes. and the Bruna Boyne. Yes, yeah. When he trick he tricks his father, he tricks the Dagda out yeah. of um, the... the, the well, he, he tricks Elkvar, who's Elkvar, his, yeah, his, his stepfather, shall we say. Out of the Bruna Boyne. Um, again, it's, it's through this wonderful kind of playing with words that the Dagda does, yeah. you know, whereby... Um, he says he wants it for a day and a night. A day and a night, but yeah. But when he comes back, he says, but all time is made up of day and nights. Yeah. So I've got it forever. Exactly. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it just seemed right that here we've got it again. Exactly, that yeah. That everything must be in balance. Yeah, that yeah. too much good, oh, you can't yeah. have... You can't have perfection the whole time yes. either. Yeah, yeah. It must be this, this yeah. balance. Is the, you know, the balance of... Uh, 
of dearth and prosperity yeah. of, it, it is a natural balance yeah yeah no i like that mm. um well i think you're going to put well actually both poems are already online they are but they? i'll put them up again you know with with specific reference to to this so the fover are not destroyed no but they're swept away to the unseen places between the waves yeah so, as we've said, the, the whole story is really about the breaking and remaking of natural order. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, what's important, I think, I think what I really like, is the saga's not just about restoration after attack from without side. Yeah, it's not yeah. just about that. And it's definitely not a battle between good and evil. God, no. No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> this idea of the evil, nasty, Fomorian, yeah. for Fovera, Fomorians, yeah. is just, it may come later in folklore, mm. they become mm. monsters and nasty. Yeah, yeah. But in this tale, mm. they're definitely not. No, absolutely not. And they're, they're not even kind of universally ugly or deformed. You know, I mean, after all, Bresh gets the kingship because he's so beautiful. When Eru first sees Elitha, he's beautiful. And they're not attacked from the people who are outside. The Fovera no. are actually there before the Tadonans. Exactly, yeah. I mean, in, in in some respects, you could say they have more right to the land. So you know, we have were there to first. look at the Fovera and the Donna, surely. There's two branches of the same family, yeah. sort of interlinked. Absolutely, yeah. Mirroring yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, I know you want to look at this mirroring again. That's something that we can go into in, in detail. In a shorter podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, essentially, the, the, the second half of this series is going to be a bit more sort of exploratory, a little bit more discursive. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely one of the things we'll go into in detail. Yeah, because the story seems as though they're deliberately set out mm. to shatter the order. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be deliberate things to go on. I yeah. mean, like, um, Elitha seems to go out to create a son yeah. who will shatter the yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. It's really tough on the boy. I know. It's there in his name. <laughs> exactly, you know, he is. He's been set up. Uproar, yeah, yeah. And then the dad does offer to lower mountains and shake mm, the land. Mm. You see, he, he's actually going, my job is to just really knock over the anthill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or and, kick over the sandcastle and start again. Yeah, and the, that way yeah. we'll get the natural order back. Yeah. You know, it's gone too far one way, we've got to get the balance yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And you, you do get this kind of theme in other parts of the world and other other mythologies and traditions as well um and it's it's as far as i know it's something that you find in the way that time is measured you know that when you mm. come to the end of the year there's a dangerous time when things are deliberately set up to be chaotic and reversed it's like the 12th night yeah it comes right down into modern christmas yeah, and the yeah. world of misrule exactly yeah but you you deliberately set that up you know within spe specified boundaries and then once that's done you can get back to order and sort of the, that urge toward destruction that kind of entropy has been sated for it's probably even time. more noticeable in the irish and now english and probably american now halloween oh yeah but you know this is a time when you deliberately set up a mm. world of disorder exactly yeah. to head off the real disorder yeah so yeah. you play it out you yes. dress up you yeah. act you enact disorder yeah in order to sort of as it were keep it in bounds yeah yeah and it's it's very much like um this term that I, I generally use in t when I'm doing drama work workshops and so on, that it's a, a safe space in which to take risks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this thing of saying, okay, you know, we, we human beings have these urges to destroy and to kill and to uh, subvert and so on. We know that we have those urges, but we can't afford for the whole of society to crumble. So we'll give this 
very clearly defined space mm-hmm. in which all that can be played out and then we'll get back to in the fact, order I mean, again. All the years ago when we were running workshops here on a regular mm. basis, a lot of this was safe place to play. Exactly. And we used the Irish stories mm. to in a, in a way reenact mm. ideas and feelings and themes. Yeah. Which we could safely talk about in story. Yes. I mean, this is the whole purpose of story. In many ways, And it's yeah. certainly the purpose of drama. Yeah, theatre, absolutely. And it, it's also within some of the sort of theory of mythology that I've looked at, you know, there's there's a, quite a common idea that um, a lot of myths, rather than being, if you like, a positive exemplar, are more like a... a, a a means of escaping, you know, like the amount of incest that happens in the Greek myths Mm -hmm. and even in our own, you know, that it's not that these stories are saying this is what you should strive for. Mm -hmm. It's more that the stories play out that sort of deepest and darkest taboo so that you can then deal with it. it. Exactly. It's, uh, I would also say, it has some of the functions of dream. It's almost like um, a a community dreaming. Yes, yeah. Yeah. you know, rather like the I I know that uh, Black Elk speaks now. It's become unpopular again, but this idea of the community dream mm. that is that uh, is discussed in that, and it's quite interesting. Just as a side point, that a lot when you look at a lot of Bronze Age civilizations, mm. take the Minoans for example, yeah. you'll find in any of the layouts of the what they call palaces, but yeah. actually community complexes, yeah. that the central space is one that's very clear was used for drama. Yeah, yeah. And the earliest theatres, which then became the same places you used the theatres, also as courts yeah. for settling disputes, yeah. for organising ceremony, you know, not for, just and ceremony, parliaments. and parliaments. And yeah. So the, the theatres, the you know, became, mm. they started off as the places where the community leaders met to discuss. Yes. And then certain things would be enacted. Yeah, there's there's central kind of, like you say, group or community, there's central social events, you know, a time when people will come together and, if you like, play out... The story of their people. Now we know that that these times were that they're, they're constantly talked about in the Irish yes. texts, particularly yes. Samhain and Lunasa, and Lunasa, the yes. place of the great fairs. Yes, you know the uh, the the, the bull feast of Tara, yes. to which everybody had to attend or be disgraced. Yes, you know the, yeah. the, that they, these are constantly referenced, and these are the times when you had the entertainments, mm. um, the settling of law, yes. of disputes, yeah. the settling of well lot more yeah now there there were several different kinds of gatherings and um we looked at this before talking about macha and the oinach the the, the Mm -hmm. fair and so on there's a an excellent dinchenica's poem on carmen Mm -hmm. which gives lists in details you know it it talks about the great fair at carmen and it talks about what happens on each of the days Mm -hmm. you know it sort of says um whatever monday is the time for the men from this area tuesday is the time when the women get together wednesday is the time when all the the poets and musicians perform you know so that there's very particular things that happen Mm -hmm. but then of course it's also just a great big fair a great big festival it was also a time when unofficial things were settled yeah yeah as well yeah. and you get a lot of the old sort of talk about the faction fights yeah. and the you know that which were very much a part of irish fairs oh yeah yeah unfortunately or fortunately it just was yeah yeah well um, right up to present day yes you know is is the truth of it yes too you know you don't want to get too close to a horse fair do you <laughs> today <laughs> you know what i mean these yeah. are times of tension yes yeah and times when old feuds and family mm. stories are played and replayed yeah um 
nothing changes. Mm. So it, it sometimes I think when I look at the story of Moitura, mm. and I think it almost seems like a um, a once a generation mm. replaying yeah. and re-establishing of the audio. That's everything of so we say when I say sacred drama, I yeah. mean set apart. Yes, uh, that ritual drama. Yeah, yeah. That. Uh, you know, works for the whole community. Mm. And it's particularly interesting since the number of ceremonial spears and items that yes. were uh, were found in Loch Arrow. Yes. Right yeah. on the edge Absolutely. of the Moitura Plain. Yeah, yeah. And the, 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 the uh, marvellous weapons that were never used yes. in battle that are absolutely ceremonial yeah, yeah. but are given to the water. Mm, mm. You could make a case for this whole story of Moitura yes. being uh, um, one of these reenactments yeah. of the people i yeah. don't know i mean it, I, it, i'd like to talk about it further yeah but let's just before we finish look back to look look forward to yes. some of these future themes yes. i think you've got a few ideas haven't you yeah well certainly we're going to look at this theme of mirroring which we have touched on time and again and in terms of the way that the Tua, the Danan and the fovera do seem to be part of the same family the way that names reflect each other but also some of the themes within it and we're going to sort of both look at those um, individual episodes but try and draw out you know what that signifies mm-hmm. um, reflections yes yeah exactly all the mirrors all the reflections and, and uh, order and chaos yada 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 so that's definitely going to be one of ours I'd quite look to like to look at some of the stories in the landscape of my, my tour although oh, this yeah. must maybe just a few articles not exactly sure yet, yeah. because it is a real place it is and and it's surprising that there there are people uh, in the world who might know this story inside out but don't realise that yeah you can go there you know you can visit Newether's grave you can sit on Lou's seat you know uh, people <laughs> the find that, of the lake of the eye yeah, yeah exactly you know you can see Loch Nassau near that boy's house in Castle Baldwin mm-hmm. you know it's quite beautiful in it this is way. but again it's that's just another possibility and then maybe some episodes we regard as a kind of um experimental story archaeology yeah now th- this is something that uh, we we kind of want to get into now experimental is in big letters you know we, we've talked over the course of these last six episodes about you know where does Lou fit into the story where does Alma fit into the story are they shiny foreigners yeah yeah even though well, what, the... what would happen if you took them out exactly what would you be left with could mm. you sort of construct a proto story yeah with only indigenous figures yeah now yeah. we're not saying this is better or no. original or anything it would just be an interesting experiment to, to try and see what see happens. what it's like yeah. and the same with your theory that the poetry came before the, the before prose, the prose, the prose yeah. in a way was a developed commentary Yes, yeah. And um, with the poetry, I would include all of the kind of formalised dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, which would include Lou coming to Tara. And formalised dialogue is typical of early drama. Oh, yeah. As in the way that uh, a lot of our Western drama mm-hmm. from the mystery plays onwards actually grew out of a moment in the mass. Yeah. That it was that ritual spoken pieces that yeah. became dialogue that yeah. gradually grew into yeah. performance. Yes. Yeah. So... You know there is there is precedent for this. Yeah. So uh, again, uh, as an experiment, sort of see what happens when you just take those mm. pieces. What story do they tell? Uh, we do also need to look, I think, a bit more specifically at things like the Lever Gavola, which is another sort of very important source 
for a lot of um, this material now. And even maybe this children touring as well. Exactly, exactly. But now, these, these are quite hard to get hold of, and, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I, I think it's worth saying, OK, well, what what are these perspectives, mm-hmm. you know, that, that still give yeah. us more about And largely the we're story. regarding these specials, so yeah. hopefully they will be shorter. <laughs> Sorry about this. Um, this one may go out as a as a two parter, both yeah. at the same time. But at least you'll be able to download it yeah. in two parts yeah. because we are aware they've been getting longer and longer. Well, and yes, yeah. Well, but my tour is a very big saga. It is. It's it's one of the the biggies, you know. And in terms of Irish mythology, you know, there's maybe one or two other. And sagas. we love it to bits. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, well, we'll see what we can do. And yeah. I've been really, really enjoying getting into my tour again. That was great. It seems like uh, I can't believe it's twelve, nearly what twelve 13, years well, since twelve full years. Yeah. Since we stood on that site in my tour mm. and uh, created that. Uh, festival and the pageant and put yeah. those words together and now we look at them and we think oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we'll set out and see what um, experimental story archaeology we can come up with yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening bye thank you for listening to Ogilvy Nanagas conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody for more information or to subscribe please visit www.storyarchaeology.com You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com <laughs>